I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, welcome to Going Off Track. Hello. I'm Jonah. I'm Brad. And together we are two guys <laughs> sitting in Brad's living room in the S- middle of the day. Sitting around watching the sunset. Yeah, so we were watching the sunset. It's that slow it gets, part of the, the season, man, when like... It gets dark so early, huh? Uh, you know, if there's anything good about being a parent, it's... I mean, because before I became a parent, I remember this time of year, you know, because I was like... DJing and playing in bands and you would like and I would get up at two o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon and not make it out of the house in time to catch any sunlight. Wow. And it was just so depressing. <laughs> That's like the real like rock and roll life though. I don't know, man. You know it's weird? It's weird like that it's weird how that goes from like being cool to just being like really pathetic. And there's like a fine line where like it just switches. <laughs> I feel like it's Except, the same. You know, I if given the choice, I like that. I I mean, I like those hours. I I don't know what it is. I can think clearly at night. Yeah, I know I, what you mean. I don't miss. I don't miss. You know, I don't miss going on touring and you know, like, and I don't definitely don't miss fucking DJing in New York clubs. Yeah, at all. I hate DJing. <laughs> I mean, I'll do it once in a while just to make money, but I really, I really don't enjoy it. I, I don't enjoy staying out that late. I don't. Well, and I don't enjoy going out like that late anymore. Yeah. But I did like, like, I liked, you know, I liked being awake at like three o'clock in the morning, even if it was in my own apartment. Just, I, I don't know what it is. See, my juices flow at that yeah. hour. I think some people, I think it depends how you're wired. I mean, for me, I love, I wake up around seven every day pretty much and go to yoga. And I love like it being like, nine o'clock ten o'clock i've already done this like all this like breathing all this stretching i feel like that really sets me up for my day like that that feeling to me is better than like staying out for an extra couple hours at night you're probably on the right track well i mean like you know not in like a judgmental way but i feel like that there's almost it's not a high but there's like a sort of like mental kind of like it just i don't know i feel like it just like makes things easier to deal with throughout the course of the day. Well, you're, you're why? I mean, physiologically, that's when humans are supposed, you're supposed to be active with the sun and not Yeah, in my fucking preferred. <laughs> it's nice. I like, I never thought I would like getting up early. I do. I like, I, I, the only thing that sucks is riding the L train in the morning. I mean, I'm so far out that I can always get on, but it's like, by the time I get to Union Square, it's like, it's a- sardines it's it's pretty intense <laughs> there's definitely been like a couple moments where i was like i think there's gonna be a fight especially like on Ugh. like bedford like people just like jamming in right. it's like and it's like yeah it's pretty crazy 
Because it's like if you live over there, like every train is just going to be, you know, like that's one of the perks of just being kind of far out. There aren't that many people on the train when I get on. Right. right. If the train's crowded when I get on, it's like things are really bad. Ugh. But yeah, you're down here in the real Lower East Side. You can walk everywhere. Pretty much. Yeah, that's nice. Sometimes I even take a bus, although that's pretty miserable. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's nice to be in Manhattan. Yeah, I've actually been toying with the idea. I feel like Brooklyn is getting so expensive that I've been toying with the idea of moving back to Manhattan. I don't know really if it would cost that much more. At this point, I don't know. I was just out in Bushwick yesterday. Really? I went to see Aaron. and um, Hit me up, man. No, I should have. I've actually been meaning to see Aaron too. That, Shout every out time to I, Aaron, Aaron Bastinelli. Aaron Bastinelli. If you really, there you go. If, if, if you, you want to mix your record, call Aaron. Yeah, Aaron mixed uh, the United Nations song um, "Stairway to Mar-a-Lago," yeah. uh, which features a, a vocalist that sounds a lot like Daryl Palumbo from Glassjaw. Wow! And uh, speaking of which, uh, Glassjaw just have a new record that that uh, came out, Material Control. And uh, it's pretty funny. I actually interviewed them recently for Noisy. And do you know anything about this record? No. So uh, their first record in 15 years. Oh, wow. The last record came out in 2002. Uh, so they made this record and they're, they put out a couple EPs, but they're like a very kind of like enigmatic band. And so the idea for the record, I talk about this in the piece, was uh, their guitar player, Justin Beck, owns this merchandising company. So he compiled all these addresses of people that had ordered Glassjaw stuff. And the idea was he had these... Tw- there's 10 songs and he made flexies with different art for each flexi that were almost like postcards, but you could play them and he wanted to just mail them out to all these fans and not tell them it was coming. And that was how people would find out there was a new record after 15 years. And somehow there was some technical thing with the label and they accidentally put a pre-order up on Amazon with like the title and the release date, Uh! like two (laughs) weeks before it came out and all these blogs picked up on it. And so, like, it kind of, like, it kind of, like, spoiled the surprise. And it's so funny because I interviewed him about it. I'm friends with his wife. Oh, we did an episode with him and his wife. Yeah. We did an episode with Justin and Melissa. And, he, and Justin was like, yeah, it's funny. My, my wife uh, said it was perfect last dry irony that we called the album Material Control. And it, the material was not controlled. <laughs> but the record is awesome. So uh, if you're a Glassjaw fan, uh, check it out. Um, you can check out that interview if, if you want. Uh, Daryl and, uh, and Justin are great dudes. And, uh, yeah, it's great. They have a new record. Um, so hopefully they'll be doing some more touring. Um, but yeah, today on the podcast, another another kind of those guys are post hardcore legends. I would say today's guest is more of a hardcore legend. I would say I would definitely say that. I mean, I, it was you know he's the founding father. Yes. Um, today <laughs> on the podcast we have Craig Satari, who I want to thank uh, Paul Delaney from Clear Idols and uh, Black Anvil and all these other bands for setting putting us in touch. But Craig, yeah. Bass player in Sick of It All. Um, maybe you've heard of him. Uh, he also played in Agnostic Front, The Chromag, Straight Ahead, Youth of Today. Uh, Craig is just... Uh, it's funny how like Craig's like, yeah, I wasn't sure if I was like really part of the NY New York hardcore scene because I was from Queens. I was like, I don't know, dude. You're like about as New York hardcore as it if, gets. If you look at... if and, and if you look at New York music history, the most iconic people were from Queens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So yes, Craig. Yes, Craig. You're fully you're, validated. Craig, you're the real deal. And I want to also uh, thank Craig. There were a lot of cheesy jokes I made about Sick of It All during this podcast, <laughs> as I did with our episode. You can go back. We did an episode with Lou and Pete um, which three was or four also, years ago, also awesome. which was also great. Those guys are great. And what I like about these guys is, yeah, they're so 
so talented, so down to earth, and they have a very good sense of humor. Um, and yeah, and there was a sign in the studio that said "Step Down" because <laughs> there's a step, and it's like that's the name of a song off Scratch the Surface. And I was with Steve Grawalski, and I was like, I gotta make this step down joke. And so I like tried to make it twice, and like other people were talking. And then I was like, Hey, Greg, don't forget to step down. And he was like, Uh huh. Like he's a very good sport about it, um, which I thought was cool. But yeah, if you're if you're not familiar with Sick at all, I mean, they're just celebrating their 30th anniversary. They just did a run of like super small shows. I think they played like Bowery Electric, Vitus, a show in Queens. And they're just, yeah, there's a reason why they're a legendary band. So it's like, yeah, all and the re- they still are fucking yes. amazing yes. live. Yes. Absolutely. I, I was talking to Craig. I forgot the podcast. I Dude, I saw them in high school. They toured with AFI and Snapcase. Mm-hmm. And I remember it blew my mind. But yeah, I mean, I grew up listening to, yeah, Scratch the Surface, obviously, Blood, Sweat, No Tears, um, um, built to last i mean they have so and then they have newer stuff and then they re-recorded some of the old stuff and they still tour a ton yeah i just miss them in asia but they are just a monster live band um everyone in that band so talented and craig of course came to pulse music yes yes sorry I'm gushing. <laughs> yes so yeah shout out to pulse music um we've been doing all our podcasts at pulse yes. lately so uh thanks to them for hosting and to steven grawalski for engineering um, fantastic job, as you will hear shortly. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, um, enough of us rambling. Um, should I say anything about donating? Should we save that for the end? I'm going to say very briefly. We'll talk about the end, but we're on uh, Patreon. So Patreon.com slash going off track if you want to become a, a member. And, and there's a lot of incentives and levels of contribution you can make. But just go check it out, and uh, we'll talk about it more after this. Podcast with Craig Satari. Enjoy. I love that shit because I've been so like, I'm just a vegetarian <laughs> for like 25 years now. And how many times like I've dealt with this like perception of like, you know, like you're almost like weaker, like not manly because I'm like not eating meat. Like yeah, I've been dealing with this shit. Like, it's like the, the strongest animal there is yeah, practically. You know I've been mean? dealing with this like like this whole time. So when I see like John <laughs> Joseph out there, like saying this shit on Instagram, and I'm like, yo, no one's gonna fuck with him. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're not taking him down a peg. Like you're gonna do me. Like are I'm like, am I vegetarian? They are, aren't they? What's that? Hippopotami. I believe so. Really? No, they're not. No, they're not because they. Yeah, yeah right. they wrong about No, no, but yeah, I think I think they are. They I think kill, they but they kill don't eat animals, animals, but they don't eat them. Oh, really? I could be sure. wrong, but I'm. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. I was wondering. I said they do people. mess people I could, up. I could look it up. Hippopotami. That was. We'll just say hippopotami. Yeah, I believe so. See, I'm on air. I have to like be careful. Like I don't mess up. Nah, don't worry. And my Queen's accent will come through. There's no getting rid of that. There's gonna be a lot of. We do have a big zoologist crowd. Really? Yeah. Okay. All right. That'll work. We just tell lies. That's all we do. Make up facts. Don't we all, my friend? Don't we all? <laughs> That's these days. That's how it goes, man. So, Craig, you started playing bass when you were like two years old. Is no, that true? About, about 10. 10? 10, yeah. <laughs> probably in, I guess around 1980. <clears throat> probably around 1980, I started playing bass. I was in like uh, fifth grade, I guess. And how did that come to pass that young? That's not uh, really... my, my brother started going. Uh, he was in like ninth grade. He was going to high school, and he went to his in his music class. Uh, Danny Lilker, you know who Danny Lilker is? No, he's the bass player for Nuclear Assault oh, and okay. Brutal Truth, and he yeah, was the original yeah. bass player for Anthrax. Yeah, he right. was in my brother's music class, and they became fast friends really quickly. And he would come over for lunch, uh, you know, with my brother, and uh, 
he, my brother, they wanted my brother to, or at least Danny wanted my brother to play bass for Anthrax originally when they were just like, hey, we have this idea. We're going to do yeah, like a yeah. cover band. We're going to cover like Motorhead, Priest, and Maiden. So it was like an idea for a cover band, you know, like that was like when first Maiden album was out or whatever. And uh, he was teaching my brother bass, but I was picking it up more because I was more into it. My brother just wanted to like pick up girls and smoke joints. <laughs> so it was more like my thing. And I was like super into it. So I was like, you know, how do you play this? How do you play that? And then I just started figuring out stuff on my own, you know. And did I read that you played a show at CB's when you were 14? <laughs> Yeah, four, 14. Was so my, I was my like 84 and you were yeah, 14? Yeah, like 84. I was like 14, yeah. I mean, like, the thing I wonder in a situation like that is like... 14, 15, I, I, yeah, 14, I think, yeah. Like, I used to have to go to, like, great lengths to go to shows at, like, the Pipeline or Studio One and places <coughs> like that when I was, you know, in high school. Like, I had to sneak around to go to places yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Like, like, what was the actual process of you... At fourteen, getting your bass to CBs and like and playing a show, um, like. Well, it was just a matter of uh, I first started going to sh- Danny Looker. It all goes back to Danny Looker, who was okay. who was you know a, a big influence to me, and uh, he would give me records, seven inches, like uh, tapes that he traded. You know what I mean? Turned me on to like new wave of British heavy metal stuff, and then from from right from there, it went right to like uh, the exploited and discharge and, and stuff like that. So uh, I was into it, but I was really little. So I'd always be like, you know, I couldn't, I could take the subway and all that, but not really. I was kind of like too little unless I had somebody to go with me. So the first place I went was a Met game, and the second place was was like CB's. I went, I went with I went with Danny to a show, and uh, you know, he's like, hey, we got to go to a show. I was like, let's go to a show, but a lot of times I couldn't. So finally, we went to a show, and uh, at the, like the, I went as soon as I went to my first show, I went every week, even if I had to go by myself, I would just take the train in. And uh, right when I went to shows, the first show I went to, I walked in. I've told the story a million times, but a uh, big Charlie Hankins, may he rest in peace. Uh, he was the the bouncer at CB's. Uh-huh. He was a hardcore guy, and he was a giant black man that weighed about two hundred and sixty five pounds. And he played the way I knew him was he played on the football team in high school, and he was friends with Danny Lilker and my brother Scott. Uh, so the, sometimes it would just be Danny and my brother coming to lunch, but Big Charlie would come over a lot too because they were all friends. So I knew Big Charlie from coming at my house, and my mother would always make jokes about how she had to make three times as much food because he was so big and he ate so much. So uh, first time I went to CB's, Big Charlie was there. Huh. And he's like, hey, kid, what are you doing? And, you know, obviously, Danny's yeah, like, I yeah. didn't tell you, you know, Charlie's going to be here, blah, blah, blah. And first thing Charlie did was grab me, and he grabbed everybody. It was like 50 people at the show. He goes, you see this guy? He's my friend. He's like, he's a good kid. And everybody was my friend after that. And wow. I went on his shoulders, and I danced the whole show. It was like an AOD show, I think. That's awesome. You had the pass. You never had to. <laughs> I had the pass right away. You never had to do the shit. So the first time I played CB's, uh, uh, I just, you know, went in, whatever. I probably got one of my friends that was a little older to drive me in. One of my brother, I think my brother's friend, either my brother or my brother's friend, Joe. And you were coming from Queens or Long Island? Filipino now, I thought. Okay. Queens. I grew up in Bayside, Queens. Bayside. <laughs> so uh, Danny lent me his amp and uh, I had a bass already. So I went and played and that was the setup for the first show. And the first show I ever played, Stigma was there and he sang all the words. Wow. And I was like, I was used to stage diving. So it was Carl. You know, later on, Carl Iceman, okay. Carl Mosh, yeah, rest yeah. in peace. 
Uh, they were at the show dancing. All the old timers, Billy Psycho, they were all singing along and dancing. And I was like, how do you guys know the material? And it turns out a bunch of them had the demo tape that we were selling at CB's before we played our first show. We wow. like did, had a demo and we'd sell it like uh, outside at CB's for like yeah, three yeah. bucks or whatever. Cool, man. So it was pretty cool. Like, that's kind of nice. yeah. Best part about it was like, you're in you're in high school and there's all these jocks and I was like a little weird kid and everyone's like a not everyone's an asshole I had friends but it's like you know a typical story but uh and then you go to CB's and they're the scariest people you ever saw in your life and they're all super cool yeah you know so it was a uh, a place where you were judged not by anything other than what you brought to the table you know you know it's it funny too because when I asked that question I was I was expecting like the 14 I'm riding the base in my subway and I, I, oh, I used to do, do that this, too yeah, and yeah, then yeah. I got. This like I was expecting like I used to take my sub my base on like, the subway in a cardboard box. I had a big cardboard box. <laughs> I, I didn't have a uh, case. I couldn't afford yeah, a case. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, just the fact that my mother bought me a base when I was little was great. First, I had my brother's base, but then my mother bought me my red base. She bought it for me as like a, a birthday present. <clears throat> so she bought me that, but I had no case, so I carry it in a cardboard box. Back and then, that <laughs> might have been a good idea. Yeah, take it on the train. You'd have to like hold yeah. it underneath and walk on the it's, train with it. Nobody's gonna. No one, is that, it, no one knew what is that it was. The no, the head would stick out. The head. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Is that the base? I had a poster of you guys in my wall growing up. I think it was maybe the red chopped built up to base. last. Yeah, it had like all. Uh, it was kind yeah, of wood yeah, yeah, underneath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I stared at that when I tried to fall asleep. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> Not in a creepy way. That'll keep you awake. That'll keep you awake. Did you see a lot of those? early anthrax shows through your brother oh uh, yeah like when they f like i think i saw their first or second show it was in like saint john's church in flushing queens they did like all covers you know they did like they did like an hour of covers so i went to see that and it was like they were like a cover band you know they did like old british new wave of british, british heavy metal and some some rock songs as well i remember going to see danny Loker had this band called white heat this was like probably 1980 80 81 and uh, I'd go see them play at, like, my father's place out on Long Island, and they would play, like, a local VFW hall, and they did, like, Van Halen and, you know, like, uh, Queen songs and Van, you know, like, they did, like, metal and rock songs. And I was, like, a little kid. I was like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah. Loved so, it, you know? Was that your entry into music? Was pretty was much seventies seventies yeah. rock stuff? Pretty much. When I was like six years old, my brother brought home the first Sabbath album, and like in like seventy uh, six, I think he brought it home, and him and his friend Lyman, who was a uh, he was like a real seventies troublemaker Lyman, you know, <laughs> like old school troublemaking kid, you know. And uh, they what they did was they played it. They locked me in a room when I was like five or six years old. Turned the lights off on a rainy day. Oh, played the rec, played the song Black Sabbath, and I was like crying in the room. And they, they let me out. And then a week later, I was like, you know, I was like, you guys are assholes. And a week later, I was like, I want to listen to it again. I want to listen to it again. And I was into Sabbath. You know what wow. I mean? That's awesome. They did like with a Sabbath album, like what my brother did to me with like Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, yeah. Like they thought it was that spooky. But if you said The Exorcist, I I still get that scared watching The Exorcist. That thing just gets you, man. Yeah, that movie fucks me up. Crazy. Possession's <clears throat> weird. Weird. Possession. I don't know. Taps like, into something deep, like sharks. You know what I mean? <laughs> just scares you deep. Fuck, Creeps yeah. me out. It does it? Does it does? I wonder, Jonah. You ever? Dealt with You've been possessed. <laughs> you ever been by a shark? I you ever been with a chick that seemed like she was possessed? No, I don't think so. <laughs> Just ask me if you had an Italian girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think I have. I don't think on, I have. Jonah. No Italy. Jonah never <laughs> kisses and tells. He doesn't tell. So I need clarification <laughs> on something that's become like an all-time historical story, and then also like tall tale. In yes, a lot of ways. It sounds like one that would be embellished. 
Yeah, I think so. <laughs> that's and it's intro. funny you're wearing that hat because I think that's the place it happened. Okay. So do you know or were you there during the head in the bag story? For, that wasn't Detroit. That happened in... That wasn't Detroit. Now, I thought it happened in Pittsburgh. Okay. But just, we were just talking about this the other day <coughs> with with some with this band... I forget who it was, but Lou was Lou and Lou and Pete were telling it to this guy, and I think it was somewhere in Ohio, but I could have sworn it was in Pittsburgh at the Electric okay. Banana. <clears throat> but what happened was I wasn't there. This is before I played in Sicko Dolls, playing an AF at this time it was in the eighties. They played a gig. Some dude comes running. There was woods across the street. That's why I thought it was the Electric Banana. Oh, okay. Woods across the street. Dude comes walking out of the woods with like a paper bag or something like that, and it's all wet. And uh, the, the guy's yelling something or whatever, and he's saying how there's a head in the bag. <laughs> and they're all like, yeah, show it to us if there's a head in the bag. That's bullshit, blah, blah, blah. And the guy pulls a human head out of the bag, <laughs> puts it back in. <laughs> Everybody runs. They get in their cars. They leave. <laughs> and it uh, turns out, like, in, it was in the paper, like, a day or two later that some guy murdered somebody, cut their head off in the town where it happened. <clears throat> so it was, like, some, like, crazy mur- dude, like, you know. And so, the dude was all boasted about it being, like, you know, aggressive, you know? Yeah, like, look at my head in this bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, wow. they said he was kind of, like, out of his mind. Seemed like well, a crazy guy. Nah. Yeah. Really? He cut somebody's yeah. head off, you know? <laughs> well, that's, like, too. I mean, you know, we loosely say, like, cut somebody's head off. But no, like, literally cut Think some... of, like, the physical process of taking the human head off. Just ask OJ. It's got to be rough. You know what <laughs> no what I mean? joke. That's no joke. <laughs> Wait, he cut someone's head off? <laughs> Yeah, he cut his ex-wife's head off. That was like a soldier. Oh God, her was head like, was hanging by like geez. some skin and a little bit yeah. of like a little uh, sinew. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't either. Just a little sinew. I think Just both of them, right? <laughs> I think uh, Ron Goldman too. He he I don't know if he almost, cut Ron Goldman's head. He cut he one like of their heads basically off, and the other one he like stabbed him so badly. Yeah, you know. That's some nasty shit. People say that his son did it. There's like some weird conspiracy thing. There's OJ's son? Conspiracy they say OJ's it. son did it and OJ covered for him. How Whoa. old was his son then? It's his his older son oh. from Quiet. the first man. Supposedly he was disturbed. Why? Just because he had smaller gloves? Ooh. This is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Listen, the glove thing is pretty obvious. It was wet outside. The leather got wet and it shrunk. It's pretty oh yeah pretty and he like holds his hand True. wide open to try to put it on yeah you know listen the guy it's hilarious yeah no. <laughs> the guy you know the, my take on it is the guy has a, a malformed frontal lobe which is where your impulse control lies so when he gets aggressive he probably blacks out and just sort of lost his shit you think could be football related like cte kind uh, of i stuff? don't know i have no idea i mean maybe who knows you never know. I never thought of that. But I just I know dudes that have like uh, rage issues, mm. and if you, if you know anything about that, it's all, it's all from a malformed frontal lobe. But mm. at least it, it's that's that's the physical definition of it. You can see it. it like on a CAT scan or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's all shows on it. I, I first got turned on to that by watching all these shows about it, and I was like. You know, saying things like, this guy must have a malformed frontal lobe because he's fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> is that something you're born with? Or is Stay away from developed? that guy. He's got I, think a you, I think you're born with it. But it can happen from an injury as well. But you're kind of born from it. Huh. Born with it. Wow. Jesus. It's like a strange thing. So then it could be genetic too, maybe. Very possibly. I mean, you black out, people that black out and go into blind rage. I don't really go into blind I've gone into blind rages a few times in my life, but it's not something like that just happens when I get mad. It's very rare. Right. You know what I mean? So, like, <clears throat> I would think that in a person like myself that doesn't, I would assume, doesn't have a malformed frontal lobe, 
It's only going to happen to me when something really crazy happens where I have to really go off. You know what I mean? But some people like, you know, they spill their coffee and they're ready to cut right, somebody's right. head off down to the sinew. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> what What was sort of the New York music scene like, I guess, like in like the late 80s when you guys formed Sick of It All? Uh, it was starting to grow. By the late 80s, it was already pretty popular. It was like suburban kids coming down. It was really popular. Early 80s, it, when I first went to shows, it was just, it was like clove cigarette punk rock trench coat. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like punks and skins. You know right. what I mean? It was like that. But by the late 80s, it had already expanded quite a bit. And uh, a lot of suburban kids into it, myself being one of them. Well, you know, Queens, borough kid. And uh, yeah, it, it grew a lot by the late 80s. It was cool. I mean, you know, the whole music, the whole hardcore scene in New York, to me, was just a great thing all the way through. There were some years where it got a little cloudy, but... I was always drawn to it, you know what I mean? Was that something like during that time when it started to grow and kids started to come from out of town to shows, was like people inside the scene like resentful of the growth? Or no, like not really. Not a little bit a little bit in spots, but not, not really, you know? Yeah. I mean, I was wel welcomed with open arms. And uh, as long as you came in cool and humble, that was never a problem. I mean, certain kids in the night, a lot of kids that were around and came in in 87, 88, there was like the whole beginning of the whole gangster rap influence in hardcore mm. where it became like uh, uh, a little bit violent you had like a little bit of a gang mentality hip-hop uh had like an influence uh there was a positive hip-hop hip-hop influence and there was a negative hip-hop mm. influence you know it was uh both sides of that coin were represented so you got kids that would come in and right away they'd try to steal somebody's shirt try to steal somebody's boots Right. You know what I mean? It was like almost like an extension of the earlier skinhead thing. Huh. So you got some weird stuff that went on. But, uh, you know, half the guys that came in and tried to do that wound up getting beat up the first time and then became friends with everybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Some of the guys like who are like known names from like the later generation like that. Yeah. Came in, got their ass, did something stupid, got their asses kicked. Came back, you know, a couple weeks later, and everyone was like, "Okay, cool, whatever." And is there were, any of those no names you're allowed to say? Yeah, Sob, Sob, Sob's first show. He, he, uh, I don't know if his first show, but Tommy Carroll, he's from you know my old band Straight okay. Ahead, was yeah. dancing, and uh, Sob and a bunch of other young young kids at the time like jumped on him because he had long hair at the time. Tommy grew his hair out, so they they jumped on him. And a couple guys tried to get him, so Tommy waited outside, and a bunch of guys came outside, and Tommy was going off, and he was, like, talking all this shit. And he's like, anyone wants to fight me, I'll fuck you all up, blah, 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 step up, blah, blah, blah. And they were all, like, scared. And uh, Tommy went to walk away, and Sob goes, uh, I'll fight. Uh, and Tommy just beats the shit out of him, like, <laughs> ripped him, you know, stuck his fingers in his nose, dragged him up the street after ooh, he beat him down. Ooh. Beat him down bad, but Sob came back, rest his soul, Sob. Sob was my friend. God bless him. And, uh... You know, he came back and he was cool. You know, we we joked about it for years after that. <laughs> you know, we like Tommy would make jokes. They would make jokes to each other. It was, like, you know, said to take your one. It, uh, you know, if you, he looked for it and he got it, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Whatever, no big deal. <laughs> What's it like for you? Like, obviously, like you know, uh, like John Joseph Harley, Roger, all these guys have written these memoirs. Like, do you read those? I and mean, is that like a trip down memory lane? Uh, I read John's book. It was excellent. I'm in the process of reading Roger's book right now. Uh, when Roger was doing his book, he was talking to myself and Matty Henderson a lot about his story. So he was like, hey, read this story. Is this how it was? Do you remember? You know, like, hey, what do you mm -hmm. think? Like, so Matty and I were like sort of chiming in on his stories to help him shape him a little bit memory wise. You know what I mean? Just to make sure like he was remembering it right. And yeah, I even wrote a couple things for him and sent them to him. They, you know, they got changed in editing, but it was just to like 
hey, this is what I remember. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So he he was trying to put his notes together when he was getting close to the end to make sure everything was was, was kosher. So uh, the little bit I've read of it so far, I think it's great. Uh, John's book was great. I never read Harley's book. But, uh, When's the Craig Satari memoir coming out? You know what it is? Too many people are doing it. It's happening. So many people are doing it that I think it would be like I'm flooding the waters. But I, I would write a book. But it, my book would probably be a little different if I wrote a book. If I wrote a book. Because I'd have, I'd talk about my childhood a lot. My childhood has a lot of stories from my childhood that, of why I got into this and all mm-hmm. that. And uh, I have a lot I have a lot more tour stories than anybody else. Maybe not Roger because Roger has a lot, a lot of my tour stories. A lot of my best tour stories are probably in Roger's book. So that kind of messes it up for me. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? A lot yeah, of my yeah. craziest stories will already yeah, be in Roger's book. Yeah, it's like, yeah. okay, I'm going to tell the story in Roger's book now because it's, you know, the story of, of those days. But uh, I think I would write a good book. I think it would be a less tough would be less tough you know what i mean well i mean i think not into the whole tough thing too much even though yeah i boxed for years and i can fight i just don't like to talk about that too much you know what i mean sure what's tough all about rather have fun yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's what's up what uh i was curious about sick of it all obviously that alleyway the symbol is so iconic I mean, how did that kind of come about? That's uh, that's actually flash tattoo, uh, a tattoo flash from I think Greg Irons, <clears throat> and we started using it a long time ago, and it actually became our property after a certain number of years of us using it. Oh, okay, it became ours, and we were able to file trademark on it, so we own it now. Is that when? Did that happen during the whole thing with Mob Deep? Or no, like... it was before that. We owned it before that. Oh, you did. Yeah, Mob Deep wound up using it too. It's a cool symbol. They liked it, you know. Yeah. And uh, they weren't some of the people that we knew that worked at their label were hardcore people and explained it to them, so everything worked out all right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, that never like got to a weird point. No, right? they used it a little bit. I think they might have used it once after that. But listen, it's not like, uh, hey, you can't, you know, you can't use that. It's it's our thing. We're known for it. They understood that and they probably used it a little bit because it was there they were also uh known with it to a degree so as long as they don't try to claim it indefinitely forever since we technically own it you know it was all cool we actually did a song with them yeah on that uh rockers against rappers no 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 that was something else that was a boxing thing (laughs) that's something else rockers against rappers was a boxing thing that kevin kelly the former featherweight champion was doing and uh he wanted me to fight uh parish from uh, epmd who outweighed (laughs) me by 40 pounds it never happened though but he i was an actual amateur boxer you know what i mean so but a dude that outweighs you by 40 pounds and he boxed a little bit too so when a guy outweighs you by 40 pounds is pretty rough and that dude's big you ever see him no at the time i weighed 147 i was a welterweight so i was small (laughs) <laughs> but anyway, we did that song with uh with with Mob Deep. That was something else. I got the names confused. Yeah, yeah. Just what? little weird stories pop out. I... <laughs> What's more like nerve wracking for you? Like playing like a huge festival show with Sick of It All, or like having to like fight someone? No, nah, nothing. Fight neither one's nerve wracking. Really? If you're boxing, if you're if you're prepared, if you're really really in shape, you're not worried about anything. There's nothing to worry about. Really, you're not like oh, I hope I don't get hurt. Really? No, bad. no, no, no. You're doing it every day. When, when I used to box, you're sparring every single, you're sparring three days a week. And when you're, if you're going to actually fight like in an exhibition or something like that, you're like fighting hard. You're going in with the strongest, fastest guys you can find to be the best you can be. So, you know, I would look at it like nobody's hitting me harder than, than, uh, nobody's, nobody's beating this, sh- beating the shit out of me the way my coach Ed would beat the shit out of me. Nobody's hitting me harder than this other friend of mine, Jay, would hit me. And then, you know, all these other guys. You know, at my weight, it's like I was going in with guys who were 100 times better than the level I would be fighting against. So it was no big deal. You were totally used to it. 
Were you actually trying to take boxing to to no, a the way I, past the amateur? The, no, no, no. With the boxing was something I always. My friends, I grew up in Queens in Bayside, and Sean Graham was my best friend growing up. And uh, his uncle was Billy Graham, who was the welterweight from the fifties. Who's okay. a, un, they call him the uncrowned champ. He beat Kid Gavilan. He beat Sugar Ray Robinson in the amateurs. He was a top welterweight in the nineteen fifties. So his his uh, my friend Sean's father Jack was Billy's brother. He was a New York State uh, deputy athletic commissioner. So when I was little, Sean they would always do boxing stuff, and I was like, I don't care about that. I want to play music. And then at a certain age, when I got to be about seventeen or whatever, eighteen. I went with him once to the fights, and I was hooked, and his father hooked me up with a trainer, and I got into that. And that was just a hobby. I always felt like uh, it made me feel confident. It made me feel good. You know, I was always like a, a pretty shy, introverted kid up to the point where I got into boxing and up to the point where I joined AF and got into boxing. I was very introverted. Even though you were like already out playing shows yeah, 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 and but stuff. but I was very quiet, quiet and very shy. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I was very non-confrontational. Then once I got to be an AF, I kind of learned uh, – they had like a rougher edge to me, you know what I mean? Sure. And the whole boxing thing, I was able to learn how to how to use my hands pretty, very well. I actually was really good with boxing at, at a certain point. And uh, I, that's all I did when I was off tour. All I did was box. I was young, so I was fit. I would come home. I would run till I puked. I'd go to the gym, work out for a week, and then spar anybody. You know what I mean? I'd box this guy, that guy, that guy. The Golden Gloves would come up. I'd box everybody. But I was never really competing yeah. because I was always on tour. Right, right. So outside of like fighting in the gym, you know what I mean? I'd fight in different gyms. I'd go to some different gyms and, and you know, there'd be some exhibition type stuff. But it's, you know, always None a None of your dudes would fuck with you on the road? No, no. no. These are your friends. No, no, not not in a real way, but you both glove up a little and mess no, around? No, no, never, no. never. No, 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 no. <laughs> never, never. No. Who like, who in sick of it all That's do you a think boxing is its own thing. Could it's a actually separate stay thing. in a ring the longest with you? Like, if you had to glove, <laughs> like... I don't know, man. That's a crazy <laughs> question. Who would hold up the listen, longest? Listen, listen, let me explain something to you. I am not in shape. Look at my gut. This is, um, I had a bunch of knee surgeries. I can't even run anymore. When I was young, I was into it. Now, yeah. I still do it to stay in shape, but it doesn't really... Uh, it doesn't apply. Okay. Pete's a jujitsu guy, and he's very right. very fit. Yeah. Dude, he'll still be he'll still be like move he'll still be bouncing around while I'm like totally out of breath. The guy's fit as a fiddle. We talked about his workout routine a lot. Yeah, he's fit as a fiddle. Yeah. He's into it. Yeah, definitely. What do you I, think about like the crossover kind of happening now, like the May or the McGregor uh, May? Whatever, thing? you know that was cool. Yeah, give it a shot. I mean, I, I knew was Mayweather fun. was going to kill him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think Mayweather carried him to the tenth, and sure uh, the did. reason he did you know, this is what tells me that he says. Right after the fight, he goes, yeah, I tried to put 400000 on myself to win in nine and a half rounds. Why would he ever say that? And he goes, oh, the casino said I couldn't. It was illegal. He knows that. Why would he say that? The reason he said that is it's a cover because he had one of his boys go and probably bet like $4 million or something uh, <coughs> to stop him in nine and a half rounds. He picked the later rounds because he knew by the 10th he'd be able to stop him no matter what because – you know, yeah. even, okay, let's say the guy's tricky. He runs away. Let's say the guy, you know, holds a lot, right. whatever. By the 10th, he, 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 he knows he can it. stop him. Yeah. No matter what the guy does, if the guy runs or does whatever. So he put money on it, and he's like, all right. <laughs> if you notice in the first couple rounds, I got to say, the other guy, you know, did better than I thought he would. Yeah, same. But uh, Mayweather, he was he kept slipping to his left. But was that theater He kept I slipping to his left, and he and the and the uh, the Irish guy had his, had his left his, his right hand out far. So Mayweather's dipping to his left. He could have cranked that left hook and knocked him out way earlier than he did. But you saw him hesitate. He wasn't pulling the trigger on it. And I was thinking, 
he doesn't want to stop him. Right. He's just touching him up. All so right. I think he, he probably could have stopped him in six, five to seven. You know, the first three, though, I got to say, the first two or three, the Irish guy was, like, awkward. When somebody's awkward, you can look really bad in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. His, just his stance was awkward. Yeah. You it know, was he real weird. Keeps his hands kept out far. Kept doing that rabbit punches. Yeah, yeah well, that's yeah. Yeah. MMA stuff. Punches. But he keeps his hands out far because of the distance of kicking when they kickbox. You know what I mean? Right. It's, a different, it's a different thing. It's, it's, it's you know, and it's, it makes it awkward. You know what I mean? Maybe you could illuminate this for me. So... So Floyd Mayweather is like in this room, right? He's in front of us. He's all gloved up. He's got this. And I let him hit me once. <laughs> it, like, am I on my feet? Where in your face? Like, what, like, what do depends I look like by the end of that? Like, have, you ever, I don't have you ever played Mike Tyson's punch? Yeah. Yeah. That's you. Huh? What are we talking about? Is he is he taking two steps and hitting you on the chin yeah, from the like, ground up? And then yeah, you're I guess he's like allowed to do whatever he wants. Yeah, like well, if you're gonna if you're gonna like tie yourself to a telephone pole, you're gonna be out cold. But <laughs> if he's done, if he just like puts his hands up and you put your hands up and he throws one punch, I might get out of that. Yeah, but he's, he's not just, he's not yeah. like a massive puncher. He's just but, real sharp. But just stick the face out and let him. Oh yeah, you're done. It doesn't take a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't take a lot to take somebody out, you just, especially if you don't see it coming. If you, the only times. The only times I ever got hurt really bad were when I got hit with a shot I didn't see. Mm. I've been hit by crazy heavy punches. Boom, boom, boom. I'll go rounds with them and, you know, you feel them, but you're all right. But when you get hit, you can get hit with a punch that's not even that hard. If you don't see it, it hurts mm. you. I feel like, yeah, when you see a boxer get like an uppercut to the chin that you don't see, see coming, that hurts you. Well, and even if it's not hard, if you get hit in the right way the when right you don't way. see it, it hurts you. <clears throat> if you see it coming, it's not that bad. Have you ever gotten like injured on stage with people like stage driving or like Hells yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a thousand times. Uh the the Chromags we played a show in um uh, it was a festival in Belgium, I think. Gros Rock maybe? Yeah, I think it was Gros Rock a few years ago and uh you know, I do that thing where I step with my left foot on the monitor. And I kind of kick my leg up. We make jokes. I call it the Sebastian Bach. It's like, a, it's like a little joke thing that we do. I started just doing that. At one point, I was out, my uh, my back was hurting, so I was doing that to be active on stage. And people was laughing. He's like, you look like Sebastian Bach doing that. I was like, it's like the Sebastian Bach kick. I was like, yeah, all right. That's so, all right. I, so I step on the monitor, and I kind of throw the bass in the air. You know, I kind of hit a chord and th- throw my right side up in the air, and it kind of, you know whatever so i so i kind of did that at a chrome egg show and this kid runs up behind me and as i'm coming off the monitor which is angled as you know the kid's behind me so i can't step on the ground so the timing of me stepping on the ground wasn't there because the kid was like running hunched over and uh i wound up coming down on the side of my foot and basically like tearing all the tendons from my foot Uh, up my shin you know on the outside like that basically like my uh my big toe kind of touched the inside of my shin pretty uh, much and it's i got pictures of it it's crazy it looked like it looks like my foot swallowed a purple tennis ball so did you just drop on stage just like well i I can't i I wasn't able to really stand because the angle i came down on i hit the ground i rolled i sat there for a second and pushed myself up and i couldn't walk so i just kind of stood there on one leg and finished the show it was like four songs left. I finished playing, then I went to the hospital. Nice. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, but you're yeah. all adrenaline now. You don't really, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you know. I knew something was wrong, but it hurt, but it wasn't like, you're excited. You know what I mean? Yeah, adrenaline counts for a lot. Man. A lot. <laughs> this makes me proud. Like half my family is from Queens. So when you, okay, you, when you tell tough stories, <laughs> tough, I'm, like, I'm like, ah. I'm like, that's right. Tough. That's it's just, up. you know, that's what's up. Dude, it's like Dude, the when you, a guy from you're, Kings you're, of Leon walked off stage when a bird shit on his head. <laughs> what? And you, you ripped your fucking leg apart and you stayed up for Dude, four songs. You're, that's you're, good. You're a musician, so you understand. When you're into something, yeah. 
when you're into p- performing and hardcore music's physical, it's like it's like strong music. Yeah. You get psyched up. Like boxing, I have one, you get psyched up. It's it's strong. Yeah. It's hard. You got to you know. You're kind of like so in the moment. You yeah. don't really feel anything bad. There I am cutting you off. See that? No, no, no. You're right though. I played a show once. My own tough story where I had a cut on my arm that required five stitches. Ooh. That I played through the show and went to the hospital afterwards. Did you? Wow. But I got it in a way dumber way. I was going under a bus to get my baseball gloves to play catch with Chuck Reagan. Oh, wow. Chuck's great. I <laughs> and, love Chuck. And uh, just have saw? a little soft toss, you know, <laughs> with Chuck, with Uncle Chuck. And, uh, yeah, and uh, I go, I open the hatch, and my elbow hits fucking apparatus on the bus bus. That sucks. And, hey. and wound up with and six it open. stitches I used to bring elbow. mitts, you know, gloves so. and mitts on tour, and oh, I, would, yeah. I would do the pads, you know, focus pads. I would do the pads with Chuck when we toured with him back in the, That's uh, cool. whatever year that was. 90s, that's a person that's that on Saturday <coughs> water. hits like a train. He's strong. Oh, he just turns into a wolf. Very, very strong. Very, <laughs> strong. Even, very yeah, strong. It's, it's not even, it's animal-like. Yeah, he's very strong. We yeah. call him the general because oh. of like the stars on his shoulders. He, one yeah. time, and he's got this like moral authority that you can't fuck with. So like, that voice too. Yeah, it's just like, it's like your dad is just yelling at you. Kind of, Chuck's yeah. yelling at you. One time we were touring with Chuck and someone snuck onto our bus and jumped into my bunk like just a rando and you know a couple people and you were in the bunk i wasn't like a a music fan or like a homeless dude no like a music like a drunk dude at the show okay who thought it would be funny in his stupid drunk brain and he kind of like just runs on the bus like jumps in a bunk thinking it would be funny a bunch of people start losing their shit runs right out and starts running down the street my guys are all like motherfucker get that's a a big violation all of a sudden chuck just out of nowhere, he's like, what happened? Just starts hauling ass after him. Oh, wow. The guy's already well gone. And, I, you know, I thought this was going to end. And literally, Chuck didn't beat him up. He just, like, talked. Explained like, he it just to him. shamed him. Yeah. He, like, <laughs> he stopped him in the street and was just like, this is the reason why you're horrible and you should never do this again. It wasn't physical. It was impressive. But he's wow. so menacing in those ways that, like... And I'm sitting there, my OCD's going fucking nuts, knowing some rando was just in my bunk. I had yeah, to like, so wash those sheets. He sanitized the Yeah, yeah that really Disgusting. sucks. Craig, Disgusting. what's it like? I had a, I had a story about oh, no, it. Go ahead. Yeah, no, tell One us. time we were, it was late at night and we were playing some festival and this drunk Scottish guy came up to our bus like, hey, Scottish. He had his shirt off. The guy was gigantic. Okay. The guy was probably 25 <laughs> years old, built like a tank, six foot four, okay. 200 plus. He's like, hey, Scottish, let me get a beer. Let me do that. And, and the driver's like, no, Oh, get the fuck out of here. The driver's cursing at him. So the guy wants to fight the driver, and the guy's like coming on the bus. So oh, I, I was the only guy on the bus. Oh, no. So I'm like, hey, hey. And the guy looks at me. I go, what are you doing, man? I go, this is my house. I just talked to him calm because the guy was a monster. I was like, yeah. I was like half asleep sitting there. Like, I was like, oh, God, I don't want to deal with it. Everyone else was out seeing some band play. It was like two in the morning. It's like, this is the worst idea ever. So I talked to the guy for like 30 seconds, and the guy was cool. You know, he looked, all right, mate. All right, mate. I was like, yeah, okay. it's my house. I go, it's cool. I go, I'll give you a beer. Yeah, just ask. I gave him yeah. a beer out of the refrigerator. I was like, it's cool. You know, and the guy left. I was like, Whew. 
<laughs> wow, that could have been rough. Don't uh, swear to Scott. Must- yeah, you got to yeah. watch. I mean, the guy was hyped up, too. He was like big, big freckly dude with no shirt on, like Damn, all built up. I was like, oh, this is you not, must got yeah, no good. Not good. Yeah, that you don't want to mess with Scottish, man. They'll crush you like a wallop. Plus, you I can't understand part. a word they say. It's terrible. Rough. It's like another language. I think bars in Edinburgh, you're not, there's no swear. If you swear, they'll kick you out because it oh, leads really? to fights. And cry, I've heard so I've heard from an inside source that you are a classic tour water hoarder. That you believe in <laughs> hydration and everywhere you go, you take an excess Absolute amount truth. of waters and hide them in your bunk. Is this real? I do. Uh, <laughs> I've calmed down over the years, but here's what I do. I make sure, because the, there's nothing worse than not having enough water. Oh, yeah. Armand always makes fun of the way I say water. He says I say water. Oh. So I always go water, water. So water. I say, trying to say water. Oh. But uh, I always make sure the four corners of my bunk have the largest possible <laughs> bottles of, of water in them. And I'll sometimes line even the, the whole p- foot in your I'll, head, your head corners. I want one, I want wow. one, one on each of the four corners and I'll try to line the bottom <laughs> the, where my feet are with, with bottles. Have you ever played baseball? You gotta, you gotta have two liters, uh, excuse me, two, three liters, two liter and a half bottles as a minimum every day on standby. Yeah. Uh, have you ever played base? <laughs> you ever played base for H two O? Because it sounds like it would fit great with your whole water. Never, oh. never, no. never did. No. Oh, I'm surprised that fish. you. Let's go through. Like you. <laughs> Actually, play- I think I did the first time they ever did a song live. It was just Toby as a sick of it all roadie. And, oh yeah. Uh, I might have played bass, and he came up and did a song like at a show when we had no opening band. So I might have played bass See? for him once at their first. Well, you've played in kind of show in so many bands. I mean, can you really keep track? Even <coughs> yeah, yeah, I pretty much know most of. Yeah, I pretty much know all the bands I was in. Yeah, yeah. You want to list them <coughs> so that we don't have to write them in the notes, show notes. <laughs> uh, hardcore bands that like in the hardcore scene. I'll tell you all of those. Uh, band called NYC Mayhem. That later uh, was straight ahead. Youth of today, um, agnostic front, rest in pieces. Um, sick of it all. Creep division, and uh, this new version of the Chromags. Wait, who was Creep division? It was a band I sang for. Mm-hmm. Who else was in that band? Uh, it was anybody from that. Two team? of the guys from Good Riddance, myself and a guy named Joe Fish, who was in a band called Redfish. Yeah. So when Sick of It All and, Cre- and uh, Good Riddance toured together in Australia, there was no opening band for one of the shows. So Chuck and I, Chuck, you know Chuck uh, Platt, mm-hmm. he was like, you know, let's let's do a band for the show tonight. So we wrote like three or four songs in the dressing in the, the hotel room. And Russ, you know, the singer for Good Riddance, was uh-huh. like, I want to be the faceless bass player. Nice. And we were like, all right, you can be the faceless like early punk bass player. And then uh, I forget who played drums. I, th- I think this guy Trevor played drums who used to help uh, help with Sick of It All management. And uh, we played a couple shows. We did covers and stuff like that. And then we wore stockings on our face because we had to Trevor both. Trevor from Nasty? Yeah. <laughs> we, had to both, we had to both play uh afterwards we wore stockings on our face so like even people knew it was this is a joke yeah, yeah and then afterwards we were like you know we had, we came back and chuck and myself and russ were like let's make a real band so we didn't if we did it we have a full length that came out in 2001 and then we did an ep in like 2004 okay <clears throat> it's good stuff it's yeah. a little more punk you know it's kind of like vfw style punk a little ramones meets sure you know nice i feel like even it you know at some point in Sick of It All's career, 
it started to take on a little bit more of like a melodic not i don't want to say punk because it's not necessarily what it was mm, kind but of. like just it got a little more punk rock and a little more melodic like yeah, but it, after you do a couple of albums how are you gonna not make it all sound exactly the same you got sure. we, we drew from our oil influences you know what right. i mean you yeah, draw yeah. draw from oil influences you draw from some new wave of british heavy metal influences you know what i mean sure you draw from you draw from different things old punk bands nothing better than an old punk sing-along you know and in new york it was always the pile-up so that <laughs> those types of sounds in punk rock were there they just kind of got lost when everyone was trying to out heart each other that's true you know what yeah. i mean so so we tried to put some of that back real chant alongs and stuff like that that's right i feel like jersey was good i'll put a little exactly. credit on her name we put the the melodic back yeah, into yeah but we were we were always into that we were i was you know i was never anti-melody or anything sure. like that i mean Melody has its place, you know what I mean? And and people are like, what do you mean? When things became more metal and it became like this real like chugga-chugga, rough sound, everything trying to be harder than everything else, and then we kind of flipped the script a little bit, people were like, oh, well, well, what is that? That's that's not blah, blah, blah. It was newer kids that didn't really know the history of punk rock Yeah, right. that were shocked by that because they didn't really know, you know, like old oi bands and, and you sure. know. They didn't know any of that stuff, you know what I mean? And you guys lived lived it through. Yeah, we were into that. That was yeah. like our some of our roots, you know what I mean? Sure. Do you have do you still have a lot of your old records and stuff? Uh probably. I don't really have a turntable, but I have a bunch of stuff in my mother's attic, like tons of boxes that are probably completely warped. I have like like dozens of unopened, like straight ahead records and stuff like that. And I have like, you know, uh pay to come seven inch yeah, like old, old eBay gold up there. but i was <laughs> never i was never like a collector so i have the records i liked i didn't just constantly you know yeah, yeah like yeah, when yeah, i was yeah. in youth of today those dudes were like serious record collectors i was like well, i'm not really i, li I listened to them i listened to it. they were like really seriously into it you know what i mean yeah 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 we did a podcast with ray uh, about yoga and stuff it was really cool he's serious with yoga yeah <laughs> he That's was always like super super flexible yeah the dude could <laughs> even then even then, but now, you know, he's like a yoga instructor for yoga instructors. Right. Yeah. yeah. He's he does like, like insane serious. Yeah, he's like serious. Well, last time I saw it. Shelter, he was just, he was just ripping it right on stage. <laughs> Dude's like, like really flexible. Yeah. He like he's like, a level he, that's like, he looks like he can float real high. Yeah. I love that shit. What do you think though about like, like the modern, one of my two big issues I have with modern hardcore are one, the need to put some kind of like melodic sing along into every chorus, like every single chorus, like like and the people who write breakdowns <laughs> without fast parts. Like like do you You're talking about like uh like pure stomp yeah, like, Chug a, like rug, dunk, 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 all E bar I mean, chord, and I mean, then you talk about the other bands that do that for the breakdown, and then have the melodic chorus every time, right? And yeah. it's like not even like a cool melodic chorus; it's like the same cookie cutter yeah. melodic chorus with like the white guy singing voice thing, like do 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 do. Yeah, that's like, like the, that thing. That's like the not so new thing, I guess. You know yeah. what I mean? Some oh, of those bands Chazzy are okay Pace, though. You the know millennial what I mean? howl. I was just listening to Hatebreed hey the other day, and I'm like, you know what? But Hatebreed, Hate this Breed, is how it's done. Yes, that's how it's done. This is how thank it's you. done. <laughs> if you want to play like real smash your brains in shit, like metal smash yeah. your brains in with, with the hardcore edge, that's the yeah. band that, that does. Because you go fast part to two step to fast part to two step, then the breakdown. <laughs> yeah, 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 how are yeah. you going to get a wall of death going? How are you going to do any <laughs> of this right, you're right. Without, without these setups? 
Right? Yeah. Jonah? Yeah, absolutely. You must agree. And they, have, agree. they have they have a nice they have a nice uh swing to them. Yeah. They have a good swing. Drums I, very I, good. I can't listen to Hatebreed without just like kind of losing my shit a little bit. Even if I'm in like I actually my car can't, or... I actually can't listen to Hatebreed. I can see them live, but I can't listen to them. No. No, I'm not gonna put on a Hatebreed record, but I'll see them live. And like, oh, I'll, I'll see them live and be, dude. I play so many shows with all these bands yeah, for yeah, so yeah. many years. You think I want to go home and listen to stuff that's gonna break? What my are you head? listening to when you go home? It's just you hanging out. I listen to R and B, yeah, like old Motown stuff, and I, uh, you know, I play along the bass to that stuff because I love that stuff. Oh wow, nice scales. Now I can't play all. You know, Some good fucking bass. Well, James, yeah, 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 yeah. James, dude, Jameson, Jameson's right? the best. But some of those lines, like you listen to some of those lines, <laughs> you don't even know what they are, and then mm-hmm. when you figure them out, you're like, he's doing all that. It, he's doing like I'll give you an example, like uh, <laughs> like Stevie Wonder. I was made to love her. Mm-hmm. The bass line in that That's is so insane. busy. Meanwhile, the song is just kind of rolling along. Like if you didn't think about yeah, it, yeah, and then yeah. you figure out that bass line, you're like, "There's almost like no time to get he the notes on in." That. Yeah, was uh-huh. that Stevie playing on that? Because I know he. Played I don't know a who played bass. bass on that. He played everything on right. a few records. Yeah, those guys. That's... I don't. I don't know who played bass. Was that Jamerson on that? It might have been. It might have been. But it's badass. It's something like that. Like, <clears throat> and sometimes the bass will be so mellow. And so back, and then other times it'll push so hard. It's crazy. Yeah, no, that's the best example of We just had and to now, do uh, covers of Four Tops. <coughs> oh, I um, love the Four Tops. Oh, yeah. What's like, what, I'll be there. Oh, really? <laughs> Dude, Beautiful. that bass line is insane. <coughs> yeah. Dude, it's and, crazy. And it's insane. To get the feel of it. Yeah, the feel is, is what it is, man. You yeah. can't do it. It's, yeah. all about, it's all about the drummer. Mackie plays all that stuff, like, perfectly. That's his, like, original style. Really? really? Mm. He plays that. Like, see that shit's so cool. Like he plays yeah. that at like a high professional level. He kills it mm. with that. Really? Kills it. Doesn't surprise me. He just when I whenever I'm like, yo, let's play this. He's like, yeah, whatever. You can't play that. <laughs> and he's totally just. And then I guess I'm, at the level he's played it at with the cats he's played it with, he's right. I'm just saying, like, you know, give me a shot. Let's get it. Let's go. <laughs> Do you find that like, um, you know, because of. Sick with all having. Oh, I listen. To, oh, 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 yeah. We're still I, I listen. To, I listen to some old punk and old early hardcore. Like yeah. I'll listen to like United Blood Seven Inch and like you know, like stuff like that. You know what I mean? I'll listen to like old punk and and old hardcore sometimes too because that, that gets me psyched. Okay, you know what I mean? Like if I play, if I'm like in my car driving, I listen now. I'm like, fuck yeah, this brings you back. Yeah, it gets me psyched. You know what I mean? That's awesome. And I'll, I'll listen. I'll listen to some like, uh, listen to Motorhead. I like old old heavy metal, Aerosmith, I love Sabbath. Sabbath never I never get tired of Sabbath. I can listen to Sabbath all day. Just trapped in that room. It's not even it's not it's not even Dio Sabbath is great too. Yeah. Dio's great, man. But uh, you know old Sabbath, but yeah, Dio Sabbath is great. But when I listen to that stuff, <coughs> it's usually when I'm driving. When I'm home, I don't listen to as much music. When I'm home I chill out. When I'm driving, I'll listen to music. When I'm doing stuff or if I'm working out, I'll listen to music. You know what I mean? Uh, what I was going to ask before is, like, do you think with, like, Sacred All having such a a long and steady career at this point, like, does it take, like, an intentional ignoring of trends at that point? Like, where, you know, would it have hurt Sacred All, like, through these years to be super focused on, like, what's going on and what's cool <coughs> and... What people you want know, and the idea, like, do you have to intentionally ignore that? Like, not really, but the way we the way we write and play is very specific to the way we sound. Like, we could play 
any song and it'll sound like guys throwing garbage cans downstairs. Right. We have like a very like uh, heavy handed way of playing. You uh-huh. know what I mean? Sure. You know, Armand is a very heavy handed drummer. Sure. He's not very slick or smooth, but he's very uh, fucking machine. Yeah, he's a hard hitting. Yeah. You know, it's it's like girders for a building to be, you know, erected on. You know what sure. I mean? Yeah. So it's it has a specific sound when he plays, you know. Uh, we just, like, and when, when I play with him, I lock in with him. So I play a certain way. I play, I can play different ways, but with him, it comes out sounding a certain way. Sure. It's all about me trying to play as powerfully as possible. You right. know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it comes out that it just comes out that way, you know what I mean? Loose singing, it's going to sound a certain way. P playing guitar, P plays that like kind of sloppy, ripping guitar. You know what I mean? It's a certain sound. We can't get away from that. So it's it's it, we could be playing a love song and it'll sound like us. You understand right. what I mean? So yeah, it's not it's sure. not it's not as it's not as intentional as you think. You know what I mean? Right. To, to, to steer away from that. But if you over the years we have kind of I'd say gone with the trends a little little bit like. Not you don't notice it, but I notice it. There are certain parts in songs where I'll write a part. This sounds like this, right? That, you know, I'll hear something on the radio, and I'll be influenced by a song I hear on the radio, and there'll be a part in a song that's like that, right? But you don't hear it like that, but I know it's that. You know yeah, what I mean? Sure, it's sure. like a riff or whatever. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. There's this, there is stuff like that. That's cool. I also feel like production value wise, yeah, that stuff just naturally changes. Record yeah, record, you know, the way I look at production though is like. All right, at first everything sounds like shit, but you look back and it's it's great. Yeah. You know, early punk stuff sounds great, but you think it sounds like shit and then you become professional, quote, yeah, right. doing little quotes. You sound like, you know, Normandy Sound, for example, like where that place in Rhode Island where the records were done, where Leeway did oh, their yeah. record. Uh-huh. That was where it was like, oh, let's sound like professional now. Right. You know what I mean? So you go through that little phase and then you're like, oh, this sounds stale. Yeah. So you become like, you know, and then, then it's like, hey, let's write stuff that's really stripped down. Like Call to Arms, that record that we did, uh-huh. it's like stripped down. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I, my idea was like plug in and play. Just, you know, and write songs that are just simple and just let it rip. You know, mm-hmm. just just don't even try to make it anything. Just go. So it like, and then, you, then you're like, oh, well, we did that. Let's try this. Then we did that record with Steve Evitz, that uh, Yours Truly record. And it sounds really, the production's nice on that. It's yeah, really clean. Slick. Which is like weird, <clears throat> and then it's like, all right, let's do this, let's do that, and then we like uh, did a bunch of records with our producer we use now, Tua Madsen, and uh, doing stuff with him. You know, it's we were like, wow, this guy really knows what we're supposed to sound like. Yeah. But then after a while, he tries to, and we try to th- go further with that, and then we get away from ourselves. The kick drums too, boom, boom, too boomy, and you know, it sounds too like metal produced or what or two two raw metal produced right, right. so then it's like let's pull it back <clears throat> you know so it changes all the time you know what i mean it's like you're trying to switch it up a little bit you know yeah last couple of records i've been telling them like uh make the bass sound like a warm svt with growl don't don't do too much with it you know the drums need to sound more natural don't 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 make them sound like they're anything but wooden drums loud in the room sure it's almost like go back to basics you know what i mean I feel like I'm sure Steven, you, you could jump on this a little with like, I feel like recording has gotten to that point where it's starting to reel back naturally, where like people realize they've potentially gone too far yeah, with I, the things they were using and that things need to get scaled back a little bit. Like, I feel like a balance is starting to get found a little bit. In my experience, it always comes in waves Yeah, where it's like people go with like, what's the newest thing? And then it's like, no, 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 no. 
it is just what does it sound like in a room? Yeah, pretty much. But the pro- you see what's ha- what happens is that these uh, these tricks, these production tricks get get layered on these fucking bands that don't have an Armand or a you in, in yeah. you know and and, and so that, then that becomes these the records sound. come out and people go wow this sounds really good and they go see the band and the band fucking sucks and yeah like, and you go we you're should get a- that guy to do our record because we yeah. fucking sound good and imagine what we'll sound like and what happens is you end up sounding the same <laughs> sure. you know what I mean shit. and you go yours backfires totally tool also you're cool. able to cool. recreate those there sounds live Woo. now yeah, like you, you haven't even you used to not one, be able to. Fake you know? it. One of your little slick lines. You and, yeah, I know. Well, Jonah, I can't use special surface. I had an incredible uh, step down joke already. <laughs> that was good. That was yeah, good. That was, that was, I, I was coming out of the door, and he goes, "Hey, watch out!" And he points to a sign that says "Step Down." <laughs> that, step that was pretty good. <laughs> I know. I was like beaming now. He's I so got proud. a of, I was really proud. I was really proud to share that with He's you. He's from Ohio. He's all excited. I mean, speaking of from Ohio, I mean what. What's it like for you, like, when you walk around, like, the East Village or Lower East Side now, are you, is it, like, how does it, that feel? I mean... It's very different, you know? Yeah. It was raw. I mean, I grew up in Queens, so I'm a Queens guy. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, it's very different now, you know? It's, like, very touristy, very, you know, it's not gritty. No. It was gritty, you know? But, you know, guys like John and, and Roger will tell you more about that than me. Well, yeah. luckily, they're all Mets fans, all the new ones. Mets fans? Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, what they do, right? Listen, I, they don't I, want to go all the way uptown. Listen, I grew up in Queens. <laughs> listen, I was a lifelong Mets fan. But the Mets fucking suck. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, I was, it's, like, it's like liking the fighter that quits. You know what I mean? It's like, how do you really like the guy if he doesn't have heart? You know what I mean? But I'm trapped. Tough. I'm a trapped a Mets fan by by birth. I can't help it. Yeah, you can't. Help I live it. in Queens, um, but it's it's like. <laughs> not not a real legit. I live in Ridgewood, but it's uh, Ridgewood's Queens. Ridgewood's Queens, but I'm like on the border of Bushwick, and now they're calling it Ridgewick. Have you heard about this? Oh my god! <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I know you're talking. And about. I can't, I can't say, I don't say Ridgewood because it's like makes me. I feel go over like to Bushwick there. a lot. I train with Gavin. You know Gavin from Burn. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I train uh-huh. with Gavin. He has a he owns a martial arts and fitness gym, and and we're friends, old friends. So we box together a couple times. As a matter of fact, I'm supposed to go see him tomorrow morning. I have to text him and say, "Yo, I'll be there at 10 a.m." But we we train together a lot, and uh, he's on the Bushwick side of the yeah, Ridge, yeah. Ridgewick thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, how did you sort of? Can you talk a little bit about like ATVs and sort of like how? Oh. Yeah, when you came in. Yeah, I mean, like, because I think people will find that really interesting. Like, you're a kid from Queens, and now. All right, so your favorite it's like the, thing to do. When you it's got like the fresh the air fund, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my my when I was 25, I grew up. It was my mother and my brother. We grew up. It was a small family. It was myself, my mother, and my brother in Queens. Had an alcoholic father that beat my mother. The whole thing. Boom. He was gone when I was young. He had a, a family with another woman that are my family as well, my brothers and sisters. Okay. So I didn't meet them until I was 25. So wow. at the age of 25, I came home from the tour in the 90s. My brother was like, hey, I met like our brother John. He's cool. Huh. We, got a, we got a sister, Roxanne, and a sister, Rosie. They're Where cool. Where are they at? They're, they're, all, they're all over the giant. I'm oh. getting to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, my brother's like, yo, they're really cool. You got to meet them. So I came home and I met everybody and they had like a thing at my brother's house. It was like the whole family came, like the nephews and the nieces. It was like I met like 40 people that were like my relatives that I didn't know. And uh, it turns out that like they're like, you know, they're family, obviously. But like it developed into like it wasn't just like, oh, yeah, my half brother's over there. It's it's my brother. It's my sister. Proper family. So I have this whole huge family now that I never had. And I got it at 25. So my sister... 
uh, her husband, Charlie. And the funny thing about Charlie is when I was a little kid, I used to go to this like auto parts store. I had like a little mini bike and I'd go in there like, hey, mister, how do I get this part for my mini bike? And it was an auto parts store. They didn't have mini bike parts, but he was cool. He would be like, listen, you got to go to Hillside Honda. You got to get like the little 50, you know, blah, blah, blah. You got to get like the this gasket or whatever. You know what I mean? So he would hook me up and it turns out that's my sister's wow. husband. Small world. He was family. He, and he was family. <laughs> so I'm like, whoa. So uh, my sister and Charlie bought a, a farm upstate. So I started going up there and I was like, this is great. And I had to ride ATVs and like, you know, shoot guns. Is and it stuff a working like farm or is it? Yeah, it's a working farm. Wow. They don't, they don't farm it. They lease to a farmer. Right. Which is what I do because I'm never home. But uh, so I was like, I was like, yeah, I want to buy a place. So eventually I looked for a bunch of years and I wound up buying a place that connects to my my sister owns the original place she had. Then they bought another farmer for an old farmer who was old and passing away. So they bought it from him uh, and, and took care of him the last few years of his life. So I bought the uh, piece that was connected to that like a farm that was on the back end of all that. So all of our farms are connected. It's like over 400 oh, acres. Holy shit. Yeah, so it's like crazy between the three of us. We have, you know, I got 30 acres. My sister has like, you know, 375 between her two farms. Yo, I've been wondering where to go when the big wave comes. You got to hook me up. It's awesome. So I, so what I do is, <laughs> you know, my mother loves it. Like when I bought the place, my mother was crying because she grew up in Germany and like Bavaria. So to her, it was like, oh, it's like my childhood. I, she, loves the, she loves being out in the, in the nature. So do I. That's what I always... That's what I loved more than anything, you know? So what I do when I'm on tour, all I can think about is going upstate, like you're saying, and like getting on my ATV or my dirt bike or like, you know, go, going out. We have like a little range set up going out and like shooting at the steel plates and shooting cans and all that. You know what I mean? Like to shoot, you know what I mean? Target shoot. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I just, it's just so relaxing. I loved, I love doing all that stuff. I love it. So to me, when I get off, I just bought like a, a bike recently. So like when I get off tour, all I want to do is like ride the ATV, ride the bike, and just go into the woods, go up and look at the mountains, and just, like, stop with, like, a seltzer water. Take a seltzer water with lemon. With lemon. <laughs> with lemon, with lemon. These guys, I showed up, they had seltzer with lemon. I was like, God, you guys know exactly what, <laughs> totally exactly what I was hoping for. And I was like, the rider. We, we yeah. got the rider before but you now that it, now that, Yeah, the rider. Now that it's winter, you know, it's uh, it's about, like, you know, I have a wood-burning stove. It's about the wood-burning stove. and Ah, oh, that's nice. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's really nice. Sounds nice. It's pretty cool. Sign man. me up, man. I love it. Me and Benny are ready to move to the fucking woods. My wife won't do it, man. My wife loves it. Where do you live? I live in the Lower East Side. She We're ready. To, she Oof. likes to be around people. And anytime we leave, it seems we run into fucking nut jobs. So yeah, there's nut jobs everywhere. It's like I grew up in Central Mass and there's just fucking. Everyone I deal with upstate jobs. is totally cool. The only yeah. thing I'll say about, about upstate New York is you'll like call up a plumber to come and fix stuff. And the guy will show up like a year later. Like, <laughs> what do you mean? I'm, I'm here. I'm like, who are you? Get off my property. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> they, they take like so long. They don't, like, they don't want, they don't want to, they don't want to work or make money. Better learn how to <laughs> fix your own shit. Trying huh? to get a tree guy out to your house, man. There's that was crazy. A, supposedly there's a real good tree service up there. But you know how much it costs for a day? 1700 bucks. Whoa. You get them out there for 1700 bucks and they'll cut and remove whatever you want. Seventeen hundred bucks. It's a lot That's of money. To, and I'm what, gonna what's go up there and start a tree business, man? But I, 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 I have a tree that that a part of it sections off over my barn, and it's not going to fall. But one, it's getting bigger and bigger. So I'm like, I got to get a tree guy to trim back trim this it. tree. So not, I don't want anything hanging over my barn. 
1700 bucks though. I know an old hardcore <laughs> kid who's in tree service. He'd probably be stoked to come work at the guy from Sick. You got to give me his number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, got a guy, I got a guy up there who's very fair. I found one. Really? Guys in my band will, uh, if they hear this sick of it all, guys will crack jokes because they always say, like they always say to the Wisdom and Chains guys, oh, you went up to Craig's farm, he made you work and didn't pay you? <laughs> and Franklin used to tell me that. He'd be like, he's like, oh, I'm going upstate to do a floor at Armand's house or something. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty random. Yeah. Do you guys remember mm. that band tree? Oh. He did Armand's whole bathroom. Yeah, he did. That's he right. did work at his house, right? Yeah. Wow. Did, did he do good work? Was it built to last? <laughs> oh. oh. He was waiting. He was, was waiting for it to come out. Oh, Jonah. I knew you had something in the pocket. That's good. Wait, That's good. Jonah, don't you have a, uh, a mystery friend in the pocket? Uh, no, it ended up not working out. If you don't, I do. Whoa. Yeah. You, you should do yours. I'm, I, so, I feel like mine's not good. Right, we good, do a but... segment on here called Mystery Friend. This is a mystery friend for whom? Me? You. Yeah. So I'm going to say something that should make you think of this person and relate it. And then you have to guess who this person is. This is revenge was. for well, the Roger depending questions, Depending on right? how, 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 how specific you are, he can elaborate on the story, right? All right. So it's a person you know who was injured. It's a person you know for a long time who was injured. And he said that he felt very lonely but only one person reached out and said a sentiment that said hardcore would never hurt one of its favorite sons. You said this uh, to someone else. Do you remember who you yes, said this to? Yes, my good friend Jerry Waldron. Yes, Jerry Love Waldron the man. Is Love the mystery the man. friend. Nice. I, right. ding, ding. I have <laughs> yeah. one too. He, he, I, I mean, what a great thing to say to somebody. I'm really good when I'm not in front of you. If I like write a text, I can really sound like I'm like, you know, coming I across mean, strong. I felt like he just even told me that story and I was inspired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I wasn't in front of him. If I was in front of him, it would have been it wouldn't have worked. All right. I, I have I do have one too, but I feel like Maybe it's gonna be. You should get... write a book. Well, I can write pretty well in school, like uh, with with writing and all that. Hmm? I was always like really the teachers were always like, Wow, you write so well. I'd read your book. In first grade I got a twelve point nine on the uh like standardized uh like city tests. You know, you take those tests oh, yeah. when you were a kid. I got twelve point nine in first grade. 12.9 reading level and all that, writing, all that. So that was like my specialty. Destined for a life in hardcore. <laughs> oh yeah. <my> God. <laughs> um, I had a request from one of your friends also. I feel like this is going to get edited out. I don't know what this is, but the feeling's going to get edited out. Uh, they wanted you to talk about the Bronson wig. Oh, you're talking about uh, CPM. <laughs> Colin Patrick McGinnis. Yeah, he's a friend of mine. He, uh, you know, he... Uh, he plays in, in H2O now. He plays guitar. Yeah, he's a right. friend of mine from, from, unfortunately, he's from Philadelphia, but he's still my friend. Oh, man. <laughs> but uh, he, we took him on tour as a roadie, and he uh, <clears throat> he's like a big, rollicking, kind of loving guy, you know? And he would, like, sit around in his underwear in a hotel room, and, like, we'd always say, like, you know, it turned into he's sitting around in, like, a giant baby diaper. <laughs> and he would just go nuts, like, laughing and going, the guy would go crazy. You couldn't sleep, but you'd, be, you'd have a great time with the guy. He was so funny. But uh, if you look at his hair when he grows it long, it looks like Charles Bronson, the way he, like, combs to the <laughs> side. <clears throat> so we'd call him Bronson Wig. We'd call him uh, another one was Baby Elephant because he's so big, <laughs> you know? I thought this was going to be something, like, really dirty or something. No, not, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Oh, I see where your head went. Yeah, yeah. Jonah. Yeah. Oh, man. You're so creepy. <laughs> no, no. He um, was great. 
The guy could carry an SVT cabinet upstairs on his back by himself. Oh, man. An, an old school He can't carry an H10. Jesus. That's a good himself. guy to have on the road. <laughs> with Pete, yeah, Pete has these cabinets that are all steel. Oof. They're in road cases. They're built into road cases. They're so heavy, he would carry them up no problem. Jesus. Super strong. I wouldn't mess with the baby elephant. Well, he's, he's the happiest guy in the world, though. Yeah. He's the happiest guy in the world. Super happy guy. He's a great guy. His wife is the sweetest girl in the world. It's like, it's like twisted Americana because he's so crazy. But it, right. it's like it's like you know it's like perfect. Like it's the perfect couple. You know That's what I mean? Awesome. As I care, I was speaking to someone else you probably know, um, Chris Ross, huh? Ensign, and Nora, and those bands, and we were talking the other day about how. <coughs> A lot of our friends from the punk and hardcore scene, how the longer and longer they sort of get away from their old friends, get away from shows and get away from music, we're finding a lot of our old friends kind of a little conservative. You know what I mean? Like getting to a place that um, <coughs> seems out of character for, for where we knew these people to be from. And Chris had said that he finds the longer and longer people are detaching that they're like reverting to childhood roles where like, you know, the longer and longer you're out of the scene, you basically just start becoming what you know and where you're from and something like that. Is that something you've had any experience with like going yeah, through a scene like this? I think so. Like uh, Tommy from Straight Ahead, he stopped going to shows and being involved and he became an iron worker and uh, he his his whole view changed a lot you know mm -hmm. he'll always be my friend and i love him and uh he he just seems to have had you know he became back to where he was when he was a kid pretty much right. as far as like a neighborhood guy you know and whatever nothing wrong with it i'm just saying it it, it uh that was a, a good example of that you know what i mean i also think that when you when you do this for so long and it's such an important thing to you if you get out of it you become bitter and it passes you by Mm. And maybe your bitterness comes off more like, ah, hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. you become a little negative oh. toward what's around you because you no longer have that connection or outlet. You take the other side more of like a reactionary yeah, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. way. Yeah. yeah, I could see that. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting. I, it's something that I found so disappointing, but then also I, it makes me wonder like just the uh, authenticity of so many people I knew in the scene why they were doing things and like what their motivations were to actually be there and you know were they racist the whole time and just like punk rock girls or, or you know like it puts I think a big it's question bitter, mark it's on i think it's bitterness it. you know more than anything i think it's bitterness yeah that's what it seems like to me I don't know, man. I was hanging out with, uh, I was just, before I came here, I stopped at Starbucks mm -hmm. and I had like a tea because I had some time to kill and this Rasta dude walks in and he's like, hey man, you watch my phone. He plugged his phone in. He goes, hey man, he looked at me, he looked around the room and there was like a guy like nodding out. So I guess the guy was a junkie sitting there too, kind of close to me. And he looks at all these people and he looks at me, he makes eye contact with me and he walks over and he goes, hey man, you watch my phone. I got to run across the street. I was like, I got to leave. He goes, I got to leave in two minutes. And he's like, oh, I'll be five minutes. I got to wait. Okay. But if you're 10 minutes, I got to leave. I said, you know, this guy was like, all right, cool. He comes, he goes there <coughs> and he comes back <laughs> and he's like, oh, thank you, man. Thank you, man. So I, I look at him and I go, I forget what I said exactly. I go, uh, I go, I, I go, I, ho I go, listen, man, have a, uh, I hope you enjoy that bullshit holiday tomorrow. Cause he had a line of Judah ring and I look and I, you know, just to like throw it out there. Cause you know, he's going to bite right on that. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And uh, we had a, like a little bit of a talk for about five minutes about like Christmas and 
about you know uh, consumerism and and you know the bullshit we're all being fed. It was yeah, like a punk yeah. rock. It was like you know like a punk rock talk. And the the, the you know the the dude was cool. You know what nice. I'm saying? Yeah, you, you connected. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know what my point was. We we're talking about racism, so I'm thinking like, but you know, how could you be a damn racist? People are cool. You just yeah. gotta, you just gotta, <laughs> you just gotta let it fly, man. Well, I mean, that's. I mean, I can never understand someone who just lives in this city. You know, like like you're inundated with the experience on such a daily level. <clears throat> you know, I can I can understand how someone in the middle of the country can get these skewed perspectives right, because it makes isolated. perfect sense you know yeah. what i mean like psychologically it would make perfect the sense. television is what's making people racist mm. yeah it, it's the whole it's the whole you know it's divide and conquer News. pit the people against the people sure. so they don't rise up and see what's going on how they're being really how we're right. being played by the system played. we're being played especially now more than ever we're being played and everybody's asleep and people are like mm-hmm. what are you talking about it's like dude this is like this is like this isn't good. Talking about LeVar Ball and shit. I don't want to say anything too specific, but this isn't good. You know, it kind of reminds me of some shit that happened in the 30s right before it got real bad. Yeah. It's like yeah. all this sh- all this shit's being fed to you and it's like, yeah, it's okay. No, it's really not okay. No. It's really not okay. Not okay. It's not okay because this is going to turn into something real bad. But I think also that with the way media is, <clears throat> they're trying to put you in a mental prison. It's a psychological operation more than anything. Sure. They want to keep you in the box. They can't, they don't actually have enough manpower to keep you in the box. They want to keep you in the box mentally. Right. You know, have the dog be afraid of, of, you know, the it's almost like better example. You put the owl in the tree where your dog plays outside. Right. And you don't have to worry about the birds of prey, the real owl coming to take your dog away. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Your, your, yeah, little, yeah. your little tiny dog or your yeah, cat. Yeah. It's almost like, Put the idea out there, and people will be scared. That's not a good. That's not a good example, but, but I couldn't think of it. This is what came to my I head. Like the owl. <laughs> you know what I mean? Though, <laughs> put an owl in the tree, and it's like the, you know, the yeah. bats stay away or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'm well, a little confused right now, but you get the idea. <laughs> no, I definitely get the idea. Uh, so, what else do you have kind of going on? Like, as far as like, are you on? The, are you touring soon? You just- well, actually, <coughs> we been on the road for about the last two and a half years pretty much non-stop you get a week off two oh, weeks oh yeah i was saying i just was in singapore and there was a sick of it all flyer that just missed <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah he just missed us by like a, oh, yeah, like a week, week yeah. in singapore. i would have gone for sure wow and, uh, awesome. and, and, uh, so we've been on tour we had like you know occasionally we get three weeks off we even had a month off once or twice in the last two and a half years but it's not long it's like you yeah. get a week off two weeks three weeks so now we have four months off Four months, and I have two mags gigs in that time: Brooklyn and Philly, which are going to be fun because playing in Philly is always great, and Brooklyn is going to be good. So I got four months off, so I'm just going to chill. But it's the middle of the winter; I'd, I'd rather have summertime off. But you never have summertime off, you know. And then, and then, and the next thing we have, we don't have anything booked. We're going to work on a new album, but we have like two weeks with Municipal Waste in uh, from Texas through Florida and up the East Coast. So that's not fun. even really like work. That's like absolute fun. Those guys are like the greatest dudes ever. So yeah. it's going to be absolute fun. <laughs> you take four months off. Do you have to practice or no? You're no, just, no, no. It's like muscle memory. Don't have to point. practice ever. Yeah. What has to happen is <clears throat> Armand has to practice his drums in his basement just to get his body used to the movement maneuvering. I think Lou has to go to the studio by his house and sing <laughs> along to like a, a CD of Sick of It All songs. Yeah, he'll so sing along like, to like the re re the re the re thing we did a couple years ago. All the uh, old okay. songs redone. He'll like sing along to that. You know, he'll have it loud in the room and he'll sing in the PA. So where it's his just voice physically goes. getting. It's just ready. physically getting ready. Yeah, you know, gotcha. it's all, I don't have to do anything. But the first two shows, my my thumb muscle will get like the size of a baseball. Look at the size of my thumb muscle. 
See that? Yeah. <laughs> I have a freakishly from playing bass my entire life. I have like a, a bodybuilder's thumb muscle. <laughs> it's like it's like it's, it looks like I have a handball sticking out. Yeah. Of my, isn't that crazy? <laughs> it looks that like an injury, crazy. Man. Yeah, it looks like a handball sticking out of my hand. That's just absolutely crazy. It's like so. And when I play a show and I haven't played in a couple in a, a while, it'll I'll get lactic acid build up in there and it'll get like twice as big. Wow. Called the frog. You called Guinness. What? Called Guinness, biggest thumb muscle in uh I probably in America. Could. I probably could. It's it's really freaky, isn't it? Yeah. That is that is like a new definition of hardcore. That looks abnormal, right? <laughs> yeah. That's Brad, impressive. can we maybe make this the cover image for the podcast? Thumb muscle itself. That's a pretty good name for a funny hardcore band. Thumb muscle. That is no? a good idea. We had stupid names. Pete we come up with good ones. We came up with like steroid cop. <laughs> yeah. That's a good name. Handle Steroid. handle the fist. <laughs> Steroid cop. Would you, <laughs> would you join my overweight hardcore band called Girth Crisis? You know something? I think you robbed that from us because we used to always say that too. I used to. I used to oh s- no. We, I used to say to Armand, like, you know, you should join Girth Crisis. <laughs> so I do have a funny story. That's about crazy. That's the same same. Trying one. to play up to you guys once. And I, don't I am know if, a little chubby though. I'm I don't know if you're there or not. right now. So yeah, I do need to lose some weight. Thank, thanks for pointing it out <laughs> over the air. <laughs> Rubbing his belly with a Santa Claus. I lost. Kind of I thing lost uh, five pounds in ten days. Nice. But I did the most illegal thing maybe in my life, <coughs> uh, trying to look cool in front of sick of it all. This actually happened. I got taken by Tim Shaw and Jerry, who we already mentioned. Sick of it all was doing an interview on WSOU, uh-huh. Pirate Radio, Scene Hall. I think it might have been the Metal Mayhem show or one of the what hardcore year? reality. There was those couple what, shows. What year? Um, it would have been 96, 97, somewhere around there. And those guys were like, do you want to go hang out with Sick of it all? I'm like, yes. And I was very giddy and excited. It's weird. And, you know, listen, you guys did the segment. I thought I was being cool and we were walking out of there and I jumped into like a locker room on campus at Seton Hall and I took a practice basketball jersey from the locker room (laughs) and left with it. And I did this to try to be cool for you guys. What, and it's probably the most thing. I was stealing something, being cool. <laughs> I don't fucking know. I was like sixteen. Did you let and us know that you stole it? Yeah, I think I just was like, eh, check it out. Like I probably tried to play it off a I was little bit. Like, Why is this guy stealing shit? Yeah, probably, <laughs> this guy's cool. an asshole. We're never gonna get thief. back in this radio. Don't bring this thief around again. I know. What are you doing, Tim? Don't bring him around. It's distorted. But it happened, and I did. I wore it for a while. Um, not out because you know. Guy like me can't wear basketball jerseys around. Well, actually, probably nobody should, I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Worked in the nineties. I have mixed yeah. feelings about this. You know who brought Craig. the bat? Yeah, don't worry about it. I mean, <laughs> can you like? Can you? Give I've done me out of some character kind of things like, randomly that just happened. Can you give me some kind Tons of repentance? Of <laughs> I need like I need like some repentance. I need Dead. to feel better about this. It's dragging me. Still. A salsa with lemon, lots of it. <laughs> All right. Thank you yeah. to Craig for coming by. Thank you very much. I've been I've been in the room with Craig many times, obviously, and uh, we've never really, I've never really, I may not have ever even been introduced to him, but yeah, I've been around those guys for years. 
he's just one of those guys that like you think you know him. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I know like three dudes that are just like him, and like so it's very easy to to kind of like just interact. You with feel him very right comfortable around him. I do feel comfortable. Yeah, yeah. Feel but like I also like just kind of know who he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree. Um, and also. I think we should try to get ourselves invited to his place upstate. Yeah. That was like what I was thinking the whole podcast. I was like, I was like, all right, I'm going to get myself invited here. You want to go ride some ATVs, I want man. to so bad. I mean, I feel like I'll be on it for like five seconds before I like break something. But I still want to be like, I, yeah, me and Greg were just riding ATVs last weekend. Like, what were you doing? Like, you were, you know. You could probably get some Instagram mileage out of that. Oh, for sure. Visit, couldn't you? For sure. I just, I just hope my ATV wouldn't break down with all those breakdowns. <laughs> In their music <laughs> but yeah if uh yeah sick of it all obviously i don't need to hype them they've been around for 30 years legendary hardcore band one of the best check them out check out straight ahead all of craig's older bands um everything craig's done i mean that dude is just uh very humble very funny and, and uh, just a super super talented guy so thank you so much for coming by thank you again to pulse music and steve rywalski for making us sound so good um if you want to book a session there that would make us look really good. So do it. Yeah, I would. Be um, sure to mention us if you do. Yes, definitely mention us. Mention your favorite podcast is recorded there and you just wanted to capture some of that magic. <laughs> and uh, if you want to support this podcast, um, you can go to patreon.com slash going off track. Um, there's a bunch of different levels. Different yeah, I just incentives. had two people today sign up for $1 really? a month. Yeah, yeah and every little is, bit helps. Man. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, and um you know, it definitely shows that you're a supporter, uh, and I do not would never even think to belittle that contribution because it's fantastic. Yeah, you know, most I, it's it, the podcast is free, obviously, yes. and, and it'll stay free. But if it's going to stay ad free, we do need these contributions. And so far, everybody's been really good. Um, there's a bunch of different levels that you can get involved at, and they all have different things to that you can reap from just out of pure love to. Who knows what? Who knows what? I, I think we've got a couple of big contributors that we're really going to have to think of some good things to come up we'll with. We'll come up with some good stuff. <laughs> um, we have to personally go to their house and yes. cook them dinner. But also, if you want to book an ad, you can always email me. <laughs> if you're cool. Only, only stuff that we're actually into. Right. Um, or you can just give us free beer. Yeah, free beer. We, we're looking for a beer sponsor. I got a couple leads on that. Okay, let's do so, it. Um, we can definitely make some exposure. I guess I got to hops to it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, if you, if you, if you're not into the, the recurring thing, that's cool. You can also do a one-time uh, donation over at, uh, Venmo slash off track. You can donate via PayPal. All this stuff is also, um, it's all on our website, on our website going off track.com. And, uh, you can also, if money's tight, we get it. Um, just leave us a review on iTunes. Like, uh, that's, that always helps. Um, or just t- spread the word tweet at us just let us know you're listening if you see us out and around give us a handshake maybe uh <laughs> high five a high five <laughs> i like uh i like the hitting the rock kind of okay that's fun <laughs> so yeah uh but yeah we appreciate everyone's support um from nothing to a dollar to people that are pledging a lot every month uh it, it all helps us pay our server costs and i've said this this podcast is is a lot of work it's a labor of love and we, we really appreciate it and we're going to keep doing it And thanks again to Craig for coming by and we'll be back with another podcast next week. So thanks. Talk to you then. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.